It's Guild Ball Tonight, your independent source for Guild Ball news, information, and conversation. Episode 60 for April 5th, 2017. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Guild Ball Tonight podcast. Now, I am your screw it, we're starting this whole thing over again host Phil, and uh, joining me tonight is our, uh, he's the reason we're starting it all over again tonight, co-host Bill. How you doing I'm there, rebelling Bill? and going for take 27. That <laughs> <laughs> got off to a rough start anyway. <laughs> this one will be Cut better. that out too. <laughs> it's all your fault. Alright, so... Uh, I'll just start talking. No. Nope, sort of like your... Nope. No. Editing every no. third word. No. <laughs> Stop it. All right. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's true. We did miss last week. Uh, my life was a little bit too busy to uh, to do this sort of thing. And um, as far as I can remember, there was no last week. So, <laughs> it's, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's only been two weeks. So. Uh, sorry about that, kids. I mean, we we hate doing that. We do it as infrequently as possible, and uh, it keeps happening. It, it doesn't keep happening. It's just you don't show up, and then I do something crazy. But this week, I didn't have time to do anything crazy. And then I tried to talk to myself, and you edited it out. <laughs> Only I get to talk to myself on this show, Bill. <laughs> hey, Phil, do we have any news? Uh, some- there's there's a little bit of news. So there's. Uh, yeah, so what are we going to do on this show tonight? We are going to have we're going to have a little bit of news, like I said, uh, most of it involving some some speculative. Uh, Ooh, are we wildly speculating? We are wildly speculating, um, based on some some photos and videos that we have seen recently. We uh, not the photos you think they are. Yep. We're going to talk about uh, yeah those those photos. I'm saving for when I need money. Now, uh, are we going to talk about the fact that if people show up in the Twitch work chat room before the episode, they yeah. get spoilers and pictures of things? <laughs> there were no spoilers. Sure there were. There was an oddity. There was a huge spoiler. You yeah. were wearing a suit. I was wearing a suit. Well, that's on Twitter now. <laughs> I, mean, I spoiled Veteran, Veteran Harmony. Yeah, well, yeah, you did spoil Veteran Harmony for everybody who hasn't paid attention for the last year. All right, so, uh, so yeah, and then we're going to talk about some upcoming tournaments because I feel like everybody else has probably done a good enough job of covering the tournaments that have already happened, and neither of us were there, so... Uh, I think I liked that better the first time you did it. Uh, quiet, Bill. So, uh, then we, uh, we've got a nice interview with this... Uh, this time around with uh one mr sherwin matthews friend of the friend of the show friend of us all uh he is uh of course the the author meister the fluff meister the author of the the stuff in those guild ball rule books that isn't rules and he came on to uh do a little bit of a we'll call it a part one of two 
we thought it would be uh, we thought it'd be a good idea to sort of play catch up and to to look back at the last two years plus a, a few odds and sods of fluff that have been published for this game of ours and to he, me he talked about stuff we all missed <laughs> well if you if you weren't reading closely or you didn't, weren't reading everything you missed it and uh you know so we 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 pick up the story as you know as it went and kind of remind you maybe of some things you forgot or hopefully we'll we'll uh we'll point you to some connections that maybe you missed some 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 interesting things therein it's not just a uh it is not just us reading the story or even bullet porting it we're really having a uh you know, it's a conversation about the story more than anything else. I I really enjoyed that chat. It was it was it was quite uh, it's quite fun, but nothing new. That will be, uh, you know, we're, we're thinking maybe a couple weeks after the rule book comes out on on April twenty first. Uh, you know, we want to give everybody some time to kind of read everything and get mad, and uh, then uh, go through the stages of denial. And uh, be ready for us to talk to Sherwin again. And then he will come back and uh, we will scold him for doing what he did. And then uh, after the after the hour with Sherwin, we're going to have our usual assortment of um, questions on Twitter and Twitch. Because the T's are where we get questions. So, Is that where we get them? That's where I get them. I don't know where you get them. <laughs> but uh, that is where I get them. So, so what do we got? We had a we had a little Facebook uh, live stream pop up a little unexpectedly. I guess was it about a week and a half ago? I mean, it was right in the middle of my crazy life. So it, this could have been two weeks ago. It could have been a week ago. It could have been yesterday. I don't remember anymore. But. Um, we had a video of Rich showing off that new season three book, and in amongst seeing some some very cool things, he did manage to leave us maybe with more questions than answers. So, so what did we get out of that book? First of all, we got a big black spine. <laughs> it does have a, and actually, it's a it's a really it is a thick spine. It is a much thicker book than the. The previous entries, and one of the things that Sherwin does uh, mention in in our chat is that you know all of the players in the game are are in this book um, once again, and um, it's not the stories; they're not just reprinting their their storylines from previous seasons. They are advancing them. Or giving you glimpses into other aspects of these characters, uh, you know, current, present, or past. So it's sort of a second swing at everybody's uh, character fluff, which is really cool. On top of the the main plot arc for season three, which makes up the the story part. So in this uh, pretty, you know, pretty nice hefty book, it's. You know, something like half or two thirds uh, text that Sherwin wrote. Mm-hmm. I think. But are we missing something? I feel like something was missing. Well, yeah. So, so we we did see the spine of the book, of course, and there was 
there were the, uh, the the nine guild symbols that we all know and love. And nestled among them was one new orange one that, as somebody points out, kind of looks like a toucan. Uh, the farmers, of course. But there was not another one. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. I think that is a... Uh, that is something to uh, to wonder about. Yeah, so that that's our first mystery, perhaps, of the season two rule book is where is that second team? So and is there then, even going to be a second team? Oh, I, the second team that Alex says is his favorite. The ones that Alex not, and that's not high Alex. He left the chat room, so we're not. No, this is Alex. official Alex. This, this is, is Dark official. Souls Alex. This is yeah. This is uh, your friend and mine. Alex Hall, uh, who promises that there is another team out there that is his favorite. So we'll see what we'll see what mysteries uh, all this has to bring because they're not telling us, and all we have to go on are those two facts. All right, and so uh, what else did we have? So they did show us a uh, they did show us a couple of uh new pieces of art and uh they they did spoil one of the farmers players in the form of uh Wendell the uh the big boy from the the farmers guild who then was subsequently uh, I believe his card was posted to the to the forum later that afternoon so what did you think of Wendell what do I think of Wendell? Wendell is, um, he's an odd sod that, that, uh, that Wendell, you know, he's, he's a big furious player, but he's no bore. I mean, that's for sure. He, um, he definitely seems to have an appetite. I think that is, uh, that is part of his, <laughs> that is part of his makeup. Wait, wait but they kind of showed the card. Are we not supposed to talk about the card? We can talk about the card. It's on the floor, Oh, okay. Right? It was yeah. on the floor. I'm not wrong about that. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm digging here. I, I know there was like somebody somebody wrote up what they saw, and I could have sworn yeah. they put it on the forums, but I'm not seeing it in the new... Ooh, that's news. What? There's a new spoiler section. Oh, yeah? Of the forums, yeah. Oh. I mean, there's information in there. Like, they... What did, what did they say? Um, uh... 3-5, tack 5, 2-6 kick, 2-0 defense armor, 0-3 okay. playbook, big breakfast. Yeah, snack break. Now one makes thing I think a dodge. Yeah. I don't think he's actually, is he actually furious? No, I don't he's think he's actually berserk. furious. He's just berserk. No, but one thing he's got, the one thing I really wanted to talk about with Wendell when we had the opportunity to talk about him, which apparently we're taking now. We are taking now. Is he has uh, so a new ability, Hale and Hardy, which I think is it's a really good solution to the momentum bending machine issue in a way. I mean, it's basically if if you get him down to half health, you stop generating MP off of him. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. So. You know, maybe you get one one turn of, of swinging on him and and harming him to to build up some momentum. But at that point, while he is vulnerable, 
to being taken out altogether, uh, he's not going to give you that three or four extra momentum on top of it. So, I mean, I think it's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting new way to deal with a two zero player. You know I mean? We've got, we've got like gluttonous mass that they, that they use to, to make some two zero players a little bit tougher. We've got, uh, you know, like Kraken getting double pushes. Yeah. And this is, this is another way that they've now handled it. You know, I like, I like the the situations where they come up with new mechanics for the same effect many times. You know, we've got uh, things like the the way that the way that um, linked and avarice and greed and um, uh, brain pan and memory all kind of give you two players going at once but do it in three totally different ways different ways yeah, yeah. and so you know i like that where the the game is not normalized to the to to that extent yet you know i mean one of the things that they've that they had that they did do in season three is try to get rid of some redundancy and some some extraneous character plays here and there that were just sort of repeats of each other. But when it sort of matters, they do really make an effort to find different ways to accomplish similar goals without what repeating do you, themselves. What do you think about the fact that now we've seen a third model? Our fourth model in the game that has a way to get extra victory points. Uh, fifth model in the game. <laughs> well, Jeez, I mean that's the mechanic. That's the mechanic now, isn't it? I mean it's 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 <clears throat> it's no longer a. It's almost to the point where it's no longer a, a, a something special. Yeah. It's it's a it's just a tactical consideration where I guess four different guilds can do it, given that two of the. Uh, yeah, two of the morticians have it. Morticians and the others are um, on other teams. So, you know, I think that that's not a mechanic that we are should consider rare going forward either. I would, I would expect to keep seeing it. I think it's something that something they certainly seem to like doing. I think it. Um, it adds it adds a tactical wrinkle to the game for for both players you know when you when you're trying to use somebody like veteran catalyst or the bear and trying to get those extra victory points both sides are aware of that and it sort right. of becomes a game within a game and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that so and especially with the Especially with the change to mascots to drop them down to one victory point, uh, I think having new ways to get victory points um, helps to keep the game speed up a little uh, for certain teams, anyway. So yeah, I was gonna say, do you think it counteracts the perceived um, not negative play experience from scoring? 
There's no negative play experience for scoring. Scoring is the best. No, perceived, way to play perceived, game. perceived. Oh, you know, I've got I, my eyes I, I, closed listen. Right now. I, I understand hyper competitive, Phil. <laughs> you know, scoring is the best way to play for you because you like ruining the uh, ruining the play experience for your opponent, who uh, who pretty much cries the whole time because they're so bored. Yeah, except the fact that I lose constantly because <laughs> I can only ever score two goals. <laughs> but other than that, we're great. Hey. It is no one's fault but your own that you can't bring it to a close. Oh, I know. I, I'm, I'm such a poor finisher. So, um, <laughs> but I get those two goals very quickly. Uh, the, uh, yeah, so let's see. What else did we, you know, and uh, I, I would say that they were very careful what they didn't show in, in the book, which means that there's, there's certainly, I think, lots of, lots of, lots of good surprises in there. And, uh, I am looking forward to, I'm looking forward to read it. You know, uh, when I, when I say, uh, in, in the interview, they were sure that he didn't tell me what happens. I mean, that, that's actually true. I don't know what happens and, and I didn't want to know what happens to be honest. I want to, I want to discover all of it at once. I don't want to know like one little thing, you know, like what happens to one character because, I don't know. I just like sitting down with that book and uh, and just sort of ingesting it and processing it. So, stroking the cover and yeah, there might be a little bit of that. So, uh, <laughs> so what are we? We're uh, not quite three weeks away <clears throat> from from the release date. So I will be uh, I will be eagerly anticipating. Is it only three weeks away? April twenty first. So three weeks is like almost half of seven weeks. I feel like something's going on in seven weeks. <laughs> um, let's see. I, I feel like is seven that, weeks is that from close now. to Mother's Day. It's I I know seven weeks is definitely after Mother's Day. Aren't you going to England? Um, like right around Mother's Day, you know, U.S. Mother's Day. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going. I'll be in England on U.S. Mother's Day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> A lot of um, mothers I, in my family who aren't exactly happy about that. But I'm going to vengeance, so... <laughs> yeah. So so how is your uh, gameplay going on? Let me let me tell you about Bar Mitzvah's Bill. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing you don't get to do within two weeks of a Bar Mitzvah is play Guild Ball. So, so, uh, so when are you holding the Spring Fling Bill? <laughs> I'll be doing the spring fling on May twentieth and twenty first. May twentieth and twenty first. So uh, like I days. absolutely have to point out I have some of the best uh, sponsors for the spring fling this year. Um, Huzzah Hobbies, which which is hosting our our place, and and this isn't even so much from the podcast, but I we. I was emailing, so so we have Huzzah Hobbies, you know, we got the, uh, we'll be getting the tournament kits from uh, Steamforged, um, Mats by Mars is back, Broken Egg is back, and they're kicking in, I mean, they did amazing work uh, helping sponsor it last year. This year, we're actually adding two new sponsors, and check this out, uh, Secret Weapon Miniatures, you know who they are, right? Sure. Yeah, I mean, a lot of, make, a lot of uh, people. They make some washes that I really like. They make some amazing washes. They make some really great bases. And then, do you remember Grant from Art of War? Uh, we talked to him. He's one of the official 
uh, he and Muse on Minis and all those guys, Grant and Art of War are one of the official licensed Guild Ball people. Okay. So both Secret Weaponing and Art of War have stepped up. Um, Mr. Justin at Secret Weapon and Grant at Art of War have stepped up to help sponsor and uh, really flesh out the Spring Fling this year. Cool. And both of them, as I'm emailing and we're talking about, you know, how can you be involved and what kind of sponsorship, um, they both kind of stepped up. And, and, you know, Mr. Justin says, hey, you know, uh, you're doing swag bags. I love supporting swag bags. That is a complete thing. And he sent me this package of stuff for the swag bags. So I have 40 swag bags that are going to have some secret weapon miniature swag in them. Now, over and above that, our uh, Grant and I were emailing, and Grant, uh, you know, came out and he says, "Hey, here's a couple of ideas." He threw some ideas to me. And one of the things Grant does so well is the uh, engraved measuring sticks and tokens and things like that. And when we were talking about that stuff, uh, we talked about some of the other things I have planned to flesh out prizes. And Grant came back, right? His first thing was, Bill, you're making it really difficult. The rest of your sponsors really have a lot of the prize support and everything else covered. And at Art of War, I, I want to support you and I want to do something special. He has come up with an idea. I got to give full kudos, and it's it's still a bit of a surprise. I can't wait to see the surprise. But Grant, on top of supporting us completely, is also contributing to the swag bags. This is going to be for a two day tournament, nearly a convention level swag bag. Wow! Yeah, Very nice. So, uh, so of course I'm going to be, uh, you know, I, I, I'm trying to horse trade with, uh, Finnegan for, uh, some of the swag from vengeance. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, when I get, when we get closer and I get the full, you know, everybody should keep their eyes out. Uh, this is a spring fling not to miss. Um, I will say this with as great as things are going this year, we may be going a step bigger next yeah. year. And uh, I'm kind of excited about that. I'm starting to put a couple of things in the work. And uh, people should uh, pay pay close attention to the news coming up. Um, once I get sort of things laid out over the next seven weeks, I'm going to get some pictures up of how great all the sponsors are and just what an amazing, you know, sort of, uh, I don't know. I might just run away with all the prizes. <laughs> I might just keep them in, just, in like, flee anywhere. the country. Just embezzle. All right. Well, so, true. Yeah. So uh, cool. May twentieth and twenty first, spring fling. I wish I could be there. I, I wish you could too. Well, when I when I am in Washington D.C., there isn't going to be a Gilball tournament. So true. You'll be here protesting. I'll be there complaining. Um, <laughs> I don't consider it protesting. I consider it just complaining. And somehow nobody else is surprised by that. Phil. I know. I know. Well, that's just me. So, uh, all right. So why don't we, uh, why don't we go ahead and listen to Sherwin, throw it over to our interview with, uh, our friend Sherwin and we'll be back in about an hour to answer some questions. Sound good. <laughs> All right, so we uh, we certainly love our Guild Ball story here at the at the podcast, and 
Anytime we talk about the Guild Ball story, that's just an opportunity to catch up with the the person who is mostly responsible for bringing it to us, and that, of course, would be uh, our friend Sherwin, who has called in once again to uh, to talk to us about the story so far. Right, Sherwin? How you doing? Thanks, Phil. Um, yeah, I'm doing good, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always sure. a pleasure. Sure. Yeah, so we figured that with... Uh, with a, a, a what looks to be a voluminous tome of new uh, new content um, coming out sooner than uh, sooner than later, that it might be uh, it might be a good time to sort of remind everybody how we got here. You know, uh, talk about how where the story's been, uh, where the story needs to go in, to, to a certain extent. Um, and then sure. uh, you know we will give you uh, we'll give you a chance to read the story, and then uh, hopefully Sherwin will be back sometime shortly after that, and we can talk about the new stuff then. But don't expect any of that now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so where did the Guild Ball story start? I mean, it's we've been through we've been through with uh, roughly a season and a half in in the life of Guild Ball, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the even though even though we're We've got a season one book and a season two book, and we're about to have a season three book. That isn't actually the the Guild Ball timeline, is it? No. So, um, obviously, it's season one. The uh, the season one release covered an entire season of Guild Ball. Um, it's worth pointing out it's not the first ever season of Guild Ball. The, <laughs> the sport has been around in our universe for quite a long while, but um, so it picks up around about sort of twenty years in or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. But um, but season one was an entire season. Season two, the book actually only covered one tournament, uh, the Frontiers Cup, that happens right at the start of what will now become season three. Right. So season three goes back to being a full season again. Uh, we kind of tweet, we kind of uh, played around with the format of you know a season not necessarily having to be an actual sort of chronological season of stuff but for the most part it, it ends up being a bit easier to write and a bit easier to i think to understand to follow and make it into the full season right it kind of builds itself into a natural story so understood understood and so the the other substantial piece of writing that has figured into um that has figured into the game so far was of course the the butcher's civil war story now where does that fit in chronologically just so that we can kind of get our our parameters on where everything is yeah sure so i mean the origins of the butcher civil war start way back at the end of season one so mm-hmm. and i'm sure we'll get on to talking about that in a little while but um but really for the butcher civil war uh stories that we had come out earlier or sort of late last year around steamcom those ones really take part at the beginning of the season three story arc and pretty much carry on through sort of some way into it so it's almost a bit of a glimpse of the future mm-hmm. uh, when we were reading mm-hmm. those um they were definitely kind of uh sort of running concurrently to season one uh, season three i should say okay very good now um so we actually do have uh some 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 view into maybe some of the story arcs that'll be happening then but uh we, we we'll definitely mostly be focusing then on just that first full season and the um, 
the tournament that the that everybody traveled to at the beginning of the second uh, the second season, which constitutes the the story that we've got so far. So mm-hmm. when when we first when we first joined the uh, the action, there sort of in progress. Um, I, it's really the you know you you we start with a a match between the fishermen and the butchers, and you really um, you really introduce us to the idea that this this game is not just about the sport. Pretty much right Ooh. away there, uh, that there's there's a lot of there there there's a lot going on off the field as well because uh, in that in that initial uh, match, uh, Ox, our uh, our uh, podcast poet, um, <laughs> seems a bit more a bit more focused on um, doing something nasty to uh, his counterpart on a fisherman team. Than whether or not his team um, is winning the match, so um, I, you know, I assume that that was a a very intentional way to start to sort of set the table to let people know that this isn't just a this is not just a sport. No, definitely. I mean, the, the in the world of Guild Ball, the, it's the actual sport itself is can be more about uh, the sort of backroom politics. It can be more about the power and the prestige of of what's actually going on behind the scenes than the actual sport itself. Not always, of course. And the sport itself is the sport itself is obviously its own spectacle. But it, it's worth pointing out, and this is a really good example of what happens. I mean, Ox in that particular game, he's he's dead set on basically crippling Corsair. That's what he's been ordered to do by his guild. Right. You know, in terms of his objective for the game, that's you know, effectively the butchers almost. That's what they want to do. They don't even care about winning that game. Mm-hmm. That's what their objective mm-hmm. is to do. And as the storyline goes on for season one, we sort of get an idea of why it is that that happened. Right. Um, right. So, um, and yeah, we'll talk about that. But it, it's that's kind of really definitely a feel we wanted to give to it. It's not literally just kind of you know a sport based thing. It, it does have other sort of steps around it. So. Right, and in, in, in a lot of respects, it has. Uh, it, it, it's replaced. Would you say it's somewhat replaced the armed conflict? In, in the, in exactly. the world to a certain extent. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, in, in the history of the world, we have this uh, cataclysmic event called the Century Wars, which mm-hmm. is this age-old kind of um, war that it's it's basically so, it goes on for such a long period of time, it's so devastating, it sort of sweeps across the world and kind of devastates a lot of kind of the libraries, a lot of the histories that all these different sovereign states have in the universe. Um, and as a result, it's, it's this one thing where the guilds kind of unite all of the nations together and stop that war happening. But one of the things they introduce uh, to stop, you know, to stop it war breaking out again, to keep people interested in kind of, excuse me, to sort of build uh, relations between nations and people uh, where there's not much commonality, or and also to sort of really as a demonstration of their own power, mm-hmm. is to have is to basically introduce Guild Ball to the uh, to the world again. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of really what it's coming into, and we sort of see inkling of that when we go to some of the next. Um, other some of the next storyline stuff. So, right. for example, we, we see, um, yeah, we kind of see the union in season one, sort of threatening the fishermen, um, this sort of shadowy organisation. And it's a lot of it is about usurping power. It's about taking that away mm-hmm. and the threat of what might happen in that in that vacuum if the power is gone. So, right. So you do quickly introduce the union. Now, what was the? 
you know, the, the union is, is, are they a foil to the other guilds? Are they a, are they sort of the, the glue that holds the guilds together? I mean, how, how do you see the union's role at, at that point in their story? Mm. Yeah, definitely. Because that is something that changes. But at the, t- at the, t- at the start of the sort of season one cycle, we, we find other than the butchers and the fishermen kind of in that sort of core game, the next thing almost we see is um, is basically the union starting to influence other guilds. In mm-hmm. this case, it's the fish. Um, it's also the morticians and the butchers indirectly. We kind of discover very quickly that the reason that Ox wanted to cripple Corsair was because the morticians had kind of basically put a uh, asked for a favour of the right. butchers' guild. And the reason they did that was because they were manipulated into doing that by the union. Mm-hmm. And we kind of see the union behind the scenes very much sort of controlling the other guilds through threats, through blackmail, through sort of intimidation. Right, right, right. And it's, it's, it's a slightly ambiguous kind of role they have. Yeah, it's No one's quite sure where they get their power, whether they could back up on it or so on. But because everything is about sort of, you know, saving face, because everything is about having, um, you know, being seen to be powerful, being seen to have influence, everyone's afraid of the union at that point. Right, right. Right, and now, you know, the the way that the union um, operate in, in season one is is a little bit more off the field than on the field. I think that, you know, we, we start with, with some changes that happened with the union. I think their focus maybe moves a little bit more onto the field. But, I mean, at that point, were they fielding an actual team regularly, or was that kind of a side thing for them? Were, were they were they seen as equivalent to the other guilds and, and competing in the, the the Sovereign States Cups and things like that? No, that's not something we really saw. At the start of season one, we really had the, the guilds were... Um, only just started to feel the influence of the union. They'd been around for enough time, but they hadn't started stepping into the sport in a big way, which they'd really started doing at the start of the season one story. It's kind of a sort of, the start of season one is a good starting point for where the union are. It's where they start to leverage more power. Right. So by the end of season one, we start to see actual union teams take the pitch. Right, right. But at the start, you don't necessarily see that. You'll see individual players turning up on teams where they've kind of, or you collect groups of players mm-hmm. where the union have kind of forced their hands to make sort of a guild to play their players. Right, yeah, because, you know, it, it, it reads like, you know, Blackheart is a, you know, sort of a, a, a recent invention. And the, the idea of them being a team is is very much a new a new prospect so they uh yeah they they certainly they certainly are not uh without their uh (laughs) without their hands in a lot of a lot of cookie jars in, in in the game right away so um you know then then we kind of um you know get to meet you know after the after those events we start to meet some more players i mean you've mentioned the the, the, the union uh, working with the, the, the fishermen leadership behind the fields, and that's the off-the-field leadership as opposed mm. to the on-the-field leadership. And that really kind of lays out the fact that these captains are not the leaders of their guild. They are, they are players you know, for, for this, this team that represents them and that there's this whole level of politics uh, you know, above and beyond them to absolutely you know although you know as we'll see some some of those captains definitely seem to be playing uh 
playing the politics game uh, a bit more than others. We uh, <laughs> yeah, Obulus being a a, a prime uh, example of that. Um, it, it's it's cool to see that there are different, you know, just sort of different uh, approaches to 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 life as a guild baller. You know that that these are that these are characters with with motivations that are wildly different in in many cases. Yeah, one of the things we one of the things we always try to do with the Guildhall characters is to create characters that somewhere you can relate to them in some way, shape, or form. Even if they are, you know, the most evil of all of, of evil characters, at least they have a motivation you can understand, you can appreciate. There's no one there who is kind of so off the cuff, so crazy, so random or predictable that you kind of just think, you know what, this person isn't feasible. Right. It, it's all of it's gonna have a motivation built in there somewhere. Right. Um I mean, the, the obvious example is, is probably the captain we, we focus on for a large part of what season one is. It's one of the main characters. Is Ox, the master butcher. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he is, as a captain, he's he's not a poli- he's not a political creature at all. He's he's not a character who's interested in kind of you know kind of, af- of accumulating more power in his guild, more sort of stepping up through the ranks. He knows his role. He is a hatchet man for his guild. That's the whole point. Quite of literally, yeah, <laughs> yeah, ex- literally, yeah, exactly. He's he's an old mercenary during the wars. who kind of you know ended up playing some guild ball after yeah. basically the butchers guild sort of having use having him on the team was useful. He kind of does a lot of off the field kind of activities under the yeah you know, under the counter for them. He's he's very good in that respect. Um, mm-hmm. um, as, as what he is, and a lot part of that sort of story arc for him in season one is is kind of his own struggle is to you know. Yes, I'm following their orders, and I'm just keeping my head down and doing my job, and I'm doing it well, and I have pride in all that other stuff. But it's 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 how much that kind of role wars with his own sense of honor, and that's right. kind of that's really what his story in season one is. It develops as very good. Now, so uh, you know, so as the as the the story moves along in season one, we start to get the idea that maybe the uh, the intention with the the uh, Belegging, I guess, dismemberment of uh, of Corsair, who frankly no one expected to ever show back up again in the game. That was a bit <laughs> of a surprise when he did. Um, uh, was to was to sort of dictate that the young, talented uh, shark take over the the reins of the team, and and we see them having a nice run of success, and and it starts to feel like the. Maybe the maneuverings that the uh, that the union is is doing here has a lot to do with advancing the the fortunes of the fishermen guild. Yet the 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 fishermen's guild chamberlain, um, this Laurentis character, um, clearly doesn't like uh, the situation at all and begins to. To plot back against the union, I, I suppose, um, maybe not recognizing that what they have done—that <laughs> the maneuvering it's, it's, that's taking place—is actually helping his cause. To a certain extent, yes. But the the thing to understand with it is, and that's obviously true, but it's, 
it's it's more about control for Laurentis. If you can imagine it, it's he's, he is the head of the Fisherman's Guild. Right. He is he is basically the the ruler of of all of his domain, as it were. Right. And suddenly finding himself in the role, in the position where he's subservient to somebody who's an outside influence, yeah, you know, something he can't control for a change, mm-hmm. grates against him that much. Um, and it's almost to the point of you know, yes, he obviously isn't stupid. He can see that the, the fish are achieving some success, but. You know, it's it's whether they would also achieve that success under Corsair. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's kind of it, and I think it's more about the loss of power. Again, mm-hmm. we kind of go back to the underlying point that's a theme going through Guildhall, right. is uh, and the guilds especially. All right, and so we, um, you know, uh, soon enough we're back to the butchers and a um, a bad day for the butchers. Uh, I don't think we've really seen a good day for the butchers yet in, uh, <laughs> in season one. I, but, I think the good days and the bad days look the same. There's lots of blood. Yeah, there is lots of blood. Um, you know, for uh, for for whatever reason, it, it's not uh, it's not yet clear. the The union has decided that uh, the the butchers need to uh, need to suffer a bit, and so they they send their uh, they send their assassin snakeskin out to. Uh, to help uh, to help the the fish win an, another game against the uh, the butchers by in well, this this time, uh, you know putting putting a couple players to the knife and uh, it's not exactly certain at that point whether or not uh, whether or not uh, Meat Hook and Brisket who were her her victims are uh, are going to pull through. Well, it's that's that's one of the biggest sort of continuing story arcs we have is yeah. more so much around brisket is, is the uh, sort of that act it's, it's a big point for that character yeah um a big turning point for her but um in terms of the focus for that it's it's not clear to us for the most part so far whether that's more something the union do to uh sort of affect the butchers to promote the fishermen sort of maneuvering around i mean as we see as the story goes on it's the the reason is more about manipulating the butchers than it is necessarily about mm-hmm. the sort of fish success. I mean that's an incidental thing. It, it's something where I, I think I think genuinely the union don't necessarily care about who may win the sovereign states final. Right. Um, it's more about kind of at that stage. It's more about kind of the power plays and and kind of punishing fish or yeah sort of hindering the butchers here and there. So okay, it, it's in their it's in their interest to keep everybody sort of you know the the people who are in their pockets on top. And the ones that they can't control keep them down. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so then, uh, you know, really kind of in the middle of the almost the middle of the 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 story content for season one, we, we find ourselves at the at the final match, you know, in the in the uh, the, the the league championship for the year, uh, mm. which uh, you know right away lets you know that there's a lot more than just winning and losing this game at stake when you. When you're halfway through the book and you're flipping through, it's like there's a lot of words left. Uh, <laughs> that, that may happen quite a bit with season three. Oh, okay. Yeah, we will, we will keep our eyes open. But uh, yes, yeah, so so the fishermen um, now. I think I believe at this point, uh, with a a i'm missing uh, oh no no it's not laurentis that goes missing it's the east uh, longshanks that goes missing 
Um, so the fishermen face off against the Masons, and it's a, uh, it's a it's a rough match. But of course, um, my my favorite player in uh, in Guild Ball uh, is is uh, as is always the case, the hero of the match. And for all oh. for all their work, for all their blood, sweat, and tears, the fishermen do come up second, and the Masons win as well they should. <laughs> it, it's it's I think that's where we see the sort of plan to have Shark in the team come to fruition because that that that's I think the real the first time we see sort of Shark's inexperience as captain mm-hmm. um, sort of shine because before we sort of you know we kind of talk about how he's not a um, Shark when he steps into the role he's not he's a team player certainly but he's not necessarily the most inspired kind of captain right, he's more right. of a solid kind of first mate kind of guy. And um, his role has definitely been chosen for him by the union. Right, um, right, right. So yeah, when that's, they get... that's one of the reasons. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say that that's one of the reasons why Corsair is removed. We kind of see Shark come in. Uh-huh. We certainly see in the earliest earliest stages of the tournament in their success. Yeah, you know, it's definitely based around Shark being such a sort of you know a force of nature. Forgive the pun. He's he's kind of that real kind of powerful player that can almost keep his team running through despite a lack of leadership but yeah. but as soon as they come up against sort of you know the, the team that are the current champions um we sort of see you know the honor and uh, uh, masons we start seeing them against some real competition mm-hmm. and that's when you have you have the you know probably the, the greatest tactician in the game which is honor uh, versus the kind of inexperienced guy it's unfortunately one-sided and quite predictable Right, so, so yeah, having have if you know, it's one of those situations where you think, well, had Corsair been there, maybe he could have, he could have lifted his team, maybe, and so you see kind of the, the long term outcome of that plot in a in a to a certain extent, perhaps that it wasn't necessarily to make the fish, uh, rise to the top, but stack the deck against them for the for the ending, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Definitely, but I mean, one thing we also see happening in the story around about that time as well is, you know, it's not all bad for the fish. Laurentis, the Lord Chamberlain of the Fishman, actually manages to succeed in his manipulations and his plotting, and actually captures um, Longshanks, as you mentioned earlier, yeah. and yeah, throws him in the dungeons. So mm-hmm. it, we kind of see sort of a power turn back to back to the fish, away from the Union at mm-hmm. uh, that point, um, which is right. a big for those guys. But at that point also the fish have the fish have another problem in that to mm. all the world the um, sort of unsportsmanlike uh, assassination attempt that was made against the those butchers players was done not by a union player but a union player well disguised as a fisherman player fish. yeah and, that, and that's kind of it that's and that's when we start to swing back with Ox and his kind of right. um, his kind of try, attempt to reclaim his honor. That's mm-hmm. that's when he kind of see him, yeah. You know, he kind of swears vengeance for that act because it's an attack on. It, and this is the crucial part for Ox. It's it's not against his um, it's not against his guild and the sort of his political masters. It's against his family, his kind of right. close knit kind of compatriots. This sort of family he's built around him. It's against Brisket. It's a front to him, and that's when we kind of see him really kind of switch in his head that kind of sense of, you know, this can't go on. This is this is the change, and that's why right. we then. Sorry, gone. 
No, no, I was just, I was just agreeing. Oh, I see. <laughs> and, then, and that's why we then see in our sort of uh, our final story part as we sort of go towards the end of season one, uh, we see Ox leading uh, basically some butchers, some thugs through the night because they've decided that you know that's what they're going to do. They're going to sort of take out some retribution on the fish, mm-hmm. and they're going after Laurentis. Right. So. So at that point, we've really got a lot of uh, back alleys and, and, and dark rooms and uh, people, uh, people sort of getting, getting off to, that are going to have some long-term <laughs> consequences, I think. So we've got, we've got uh, Avarice and Greed, who, whose loyalties and motivations are never quite clear. Um getting into the into the fisherman compound first and not rescuing their union boss but in fact uh finishing him off true and um doing doing snakeskin in along the way as well mm. for the uh I believe that was the first actual player death in the game at that point <laughs> uh yeah I mean it's the, the assassination attempt on Brisket failed, so yep. Snakeskin has that honor. She's, yep. uh, she's the first. <laughs> so, uh, you know, at that point, I think that was uh, that was one of the first real uh, surprise uh, moments for, for, from the ending of the of the uh, the story for me was that the um, the sort of that union itself sort of turning against itself, and then uh, we see. Uh, Ox now having been manipulated into an attack on the the fishermen commit what is surely a a high crime if not the highest of crime in it's uh, pretty bad yeah in, in murdering a rival guild master yeah I mean that's that's up there pretty much you know real world equivalent of you know assassinating <laughs> a world leader that's, right. that's how important that is that's that's the sort of thing that just should not happen. There's, no. you know, there's enough security. There's enough bodyguards. There's enough security. The guy's got enough power out there that no one would ever dream that is possible. Right. Um, so then we, uh, with with uh, with all of that having gone down and uh, chaos breaking out through the night, we 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 pick up with um, Ox, his uh, his big buddy Boar, uh, running through the hmm. night. And yeah. uh, being stopped not by uh, not by uh, angry fishermen, but in fact by a an entirely new player in this uh, in, in this uh, rogues gallery that is the, the Guild Ball universe. Some uh, some church members, some some uh, yeah. Yeah, paladin of the Solthesian Church. Right, and that's that's interesting in that point because that's. That's a character. That's that's an institution we've not mentioned almost at all in the run up to that. Mm-hmm. It's very much kind of uh, thing, and it's worth pointing out we still don't know the ramifications of why this happens. We don't necessarily. Well, sorry, we don't know the cause of why this happens. We don't necessarily know the motivations of that group. Right. We've got some hints, and also we have some new Southeastian players. Right. Um, I mean, we know a few hints, from that. Um, but we still don't know the sort of why the ramifications of what what that that happens, but. But the one thing we do know is obviously, as they kind of, you know, the surviving two butchers from this raid kind of come back, the sort of early hours of the morning, kind of, you know, shoulders hunched, kind of, oh, bloody deeds, that sort of stuff. 
you know, we see that kind of final moment at the end of season one where you've got Ox and Boar both surrounded by this kind of by these henchmen and by these sort of knights. And when he gets the chance to, you know, we kind of have this moment where Boar is kind of given the opportunity to, you know, just leave in peace and kind of leave him to it. And he kind of just looks at Ox and says, you're not worth it. <laughs> and goes. And it's, that's very much a big breaking point for really, yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those points where Ox is pragmatic enough to know that it's probably what was going to happen, but it doesn't yeah. make the betrayal less. Right, right. And that's yeah. where we start to see the history of Civil War. Yeah, true enough. True enough. That does that does drive. Uh, not only will will Ox uh, vanish into that night with the his fate um, hinted at more than revealed, and uh, it won't be it won't be for another year that we find out that he might not, in fact, have died in that uh, in that little confrontation. But well, we definitely. We definitely see at that point that the butchers are going to be uh, leaderless one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think for a, about a year and a half, that was the most, the most consistent question I was asked over and over. Is, yep. Is Ox dead? Yep, That's yep. what I've got to tell you. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, you know, we... Uh, we 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 were getting those 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 uh, haikus from him every week, so we assumed everything was okay with him. Well, there is this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and so that actually brings us to the the season two book and the second Ooh. season of the the Gilball storyline calendar, um, which. Uh, finds the teams preparing for a a long trip to a uh, little, I guess it's a preseason tournament. Could be the best yeah, way to describe much. it. Yeah, it's it's um, it's called the Frontiers Cup, and it's it's this sort of very small out of the way in the far north kind of tournament. It's it's not got you know, there's no one's earning lots of money out of it. No one's getting a lot of credit. There's not going to be a lot of spectators there. It's the, the reason that it's so important is it's the prestige of the event. It's the first one in the calendar of the season. It's technically pre-season, but it's, it's the first one in the calendar. And, and to win this event, or to do well in this event, certainly, is to basically you know, stick your flag in the dirt and say, this is our season. You know, it's all about statements of intent. Right. And that's why it's so much emphasis to it. Everyone wants to go to it, because to not turn up to it is kind of, you know, it's, it's, yeah, you're a nobody if you don't turn up to the frontiers. Right. It's, yeah, I mean, we did a trophy at one point. It's this bad bit of tin that no one cared about, obviously, because it's not, <laughs> you know, for the player. It's almost an event that doesn't mean anything. But for the guild themselves, the political powerhouses, it is very important. Right. And our universe is, is in a very different place at the start of season two to what we were at season one. So, for example, in the aftermath of Laurentius's assassination, we kind of now have a big upheaval. You know, there's, there's that sense that no one trusts. Yeah, even obviously the guilds never trust each other anyway, but they they definitely don't do that now. There's even less trust going around. Sure. sure. You know, no no one knows who did the assassination. No one even knows how that could happen. That sort of stuff. And obviously we see the aftermath of um yeah, the fishermen's guild, for example, their influence and prestige has plummeted, obviously. Mm-hmm. They've not only lost the fight, their their Lord Chamberlain's been killed. Yeah, we see the the Butcher's Guild, they're leaderless and 
you know, they've, they've gone from being one of the sort of more powerful guilds with lots of public support but sort of surrounding them to really kind of being this sort of headless yeah. beast. Yeah. Because trying to replace Ox isn't, as we hinted at before, with the sort of family kind of he'd built around him, mm-hmm. simply putting a new captain in the team doesn't gel with a lot of them. Especially right. returning players like the injured Brisky, who's now back, but is no too happy about the fact that Box has been replaced. Um, so we kind of have that old guard thing yeah. going on there. Well, and I want the one the one thing I would say that the, the fishermen have going for them in, in season two is that they they may be the only team that doesn't have a power struggle at the captain position. Um, you know, Shark is all sure. too happy to to give way to. To Corsair coming back, and I really think that that is one of the one of the the neat themes of of season two is that when when the game was introduced, uh, the the new captains for each guild because you know the, the game needed those those player options as a way to to add um, interest and complexity to to gameplay. Um, you know, you were able to use that as an opportunity to introduce uh, a lot of personalities and a lot of new conflicts to 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 that needed to be resolved into the game as well. And yeah, and we see, you know, one one of the consistent themes with this tournament is that. Uh, you know, even inside of guilds, there's a lot of. I guess, I guess the confusion of the greater world has has thrown the guilds themselves internally into some some deal of confusion. You know, you've got the the butchers dealing with only having the one new captain. You've got, um, you've got strife in inside of the engineers. You've got strife inside of the brewers. Inside of the Alchemists, you've got um, uh, you you got questions being asked about what what hammer means to to the future of the the Masons. You've got yeah. So I mean, it's a it's an interesting dynamic that got added around you know just adding pieces to the game. I think you did a a, a really good job with making those into stories unto themselves. Thanks. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, so sorry. There's, there was no appropriate response to that. But thank you. Um, yeah, it's it's one of the things I think where, and if if you think about kind of again back to human nature, if you're captain, if you're the guy in charge, if you're the gal in charge, whatever. If you're um, yeah, if, you, if you've achieved something in your life, you're comfortable, you're happy, you've got some level of uh, some level of some position, and then somebody comes along as a friend. Generally, will just you know, generally will resolve in quite a lot of strife. Right. There's very few people in the world who are sort of you know, selfless enough to step back and say, yeah, that's fine. My time in the sun is over. That sort of stuff. And I think that's definitely what we see with the captains, um, because mm-hmm. obviously this is a very cutthroat world, and Shark is very much unique, exactly as we've said, um, in that he does step aside. Right. But of course, with the the biggest thing we see happening here, um, and this is really. Back to the union again. This is really the change there. It's the union and alchemists, I think, where this is most marked, other than the butchers, and we obviously have the civil war. We've talked about that. Is for the alchemists, this is really a springboard uh, where one of the players, Calculus, uses it to almost install a puppet kind of captain. Right. Um, to 
because the alchemists have decided that you know the next season coming up is going to be their season. They're right. a young guild; they've not necessarily got that much influence at the moment, but they're going to invest very heavily in this. Well, and Midas just gives them gold and gold and gold. I mean, they can they can afford to invest. I would think. <laughs> And, and they kind of, you know, and they're putting very much a lot of support into it, but a lot part of that is built around kind of captains putting in Smoker's captain. Right. Yeah, you know, as a rival to Midas. And obviously it's it's a very big personality kind of deal with the, the uh, alchemists. That's where we see a lot of kind of friction between those two. Sure. Because Midas is quite a big personality. And, and I think that's where we sort of see why they're going. But the other one, of course, and undoubtedly one of the high points that most people definitely talked about from season two is obviously what's going on with the union and that's where we see a real change mm -hmm. in how they um, in terms of how they actually operate because they definitely become more of a public thing when Rage uh, murders his captain yeah. and takes over and uh, well go on Phil I'm sure you have something to say about that <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, I mean that's that is that is of course one of the one of the big gasp moments from from the season two storyline is of course that that rage usurps the control of the the team of the union. Uh, but I guess one of the big unanswered questions at that point is, you know, how much control does rage gain in doing so over the? the sort of the, the apparatus of the union and and what is that going to what is that going to look like and i think that's that's probably one of the big unanswered questions that that i know exists going into the into the new book so you know i don't expect to hear much about that but i think that the you know at the, i think that should be something that's probably on people's mind i couldn't have said that better yeah that's exactly <laughs> true if people should definitely keep that in mind going into season three. That's that's definitely one of the big questions we have. Yeah, yeah. what does the change? What does the change mean? We also hinted at it in the Butcher Civil War text. You know, um, Philip had a meeting with uh, with Rage and yeah. Sort of, yeah, to discuss what's going on. And yeah, and she kind of made alone in an alley. <laughs> exactly, and we kind of also had uh, Brisket sort of making inroads to contact in the union as well. Right, and she kind of. You know, gave her piece about what she thought of the union, and sort of described them as being mercenaries for hire. I mean, how does that tie into where the you know, where the group is going, or where they've come from versus you know what they are now? So there's a lot of questions with that. Right, right, right. Yeah, and um, you know, along with all of that, we we actually see see Obulus sort of rise to a, a certain level of prominence as a as a political player in in season two, you know, he, he hadn't, uh, he had been, he had been, he had appearances in, in the season one story. And he was obviously very much a, uh, a player who was, who was pulling strings in the season one story, but we really see him at, at, at his glory, I guess, in, in season two, where he is, he is really almost dictating the outcome of this tournament in much the same way that we saw the Union perhaps trying to dictate the outcome of the tournament at the heart of the Season 1 book. Mm. I mean, it's as much prominence as Oculus is going to let himself have anyway. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely, that's 
that's obviously, I mean, one of the big things obviously Opulus introduced is the Hunter's Guild. Right, right. Um, that, that's sort of the extent of how much power he has. As a result of his scheming, we kind of see a new guild enter the game. It's, mm -hmm. But the Hunter's Guild are definitely very different to all of the other guilds out there. They're, they're a team that's, well, sorry, they're a guild that's, that's ages old and hasn't traditionally interfered with or got involved with the sort of politics of the other guilds. It hasn't even sort of, you know, seen much in terms of civilization. Right. And we see them kind of step back into the universe, almost at the behest of of Obulus. And again, that's another one of those. You know, what does this mean? Well, obviously, as season two carries on, you know, the story and book, would we see that develop something? Uh, what's the what are the further ramifications? We don't know. Right, right. I mean, I, I we certainly have. You know, when we leave season two, we we still don't have any clue what Obulus's end game. Uh, is because it it wasn't to uh, it wasn't to have the the morticians win this tournament, mm -hmm. and in fact we see him uh, es essentially tell his team to lose. Mm. Yeah, uh, and, yeah, and and not just lose, but also lose a uh, lose a player in um, the uh, the mauling of Gast, who. Mm. Uh, is on that is on that list of uh, <laughs> fallen <laughs> fallen heroes in the game now. Yeah, that's true. He's uh, yeah, that one's a bit graphic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, well, there's only so many ways you can get killed by a bear, and most of them are fairly cool. Yeah, no, I think there's there's really only one way you get killed by a bear <laughs> in, in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> it's painfully. Uh, yeah. So, so as the as the tournament goes on there up up, up north, we see uh, you know we, we see scheming, we see betrayal, we see infighting, and at the end of the day, we see uh, Flint kick another goal and um, win a, another tournament because that's all Flint does: is score goals, right? Yeah, <laughs> and take home trophies. But uh, not without uh, not without paying uh, a price. Because we and this is this is an interesting one because we've we've this is the other point actually I don't think we've uh, discussed in terms of other outlet stuff. We had um, just before Gen Con last year we published a little piece about the Farmers Guild coming up with with a certain uh, strawberry redhead mm -hmm. uh, kind of non I should say. I'll get in trouble with people. They, uh, Joe. Honor's hair color is uh, is the most open to debate point I've ever known in mind. Yeah, the most contentious point I think I've ever seen in Guildhall. <laughs> um, but we, we've <laughs> we've certainly seen this uh, fairly obvious reference to Honor coaching the farmers. Right, right. So, but I mean, the the story here we have at the end of season two is that yeah, the hunters in the final actually cripple her. Mm -hmm. um, they again, once as we've seen happen, of course, there in the past, we kind of see a player taken out in a way where you know she's not just going to miss you know a game or two she, she's right. out out it's, it's career ending yeah exactly and it's um because we, we established very early on that we have the physicians guild you have a sort of assisted healing process that can do wonders for a player's you know physical condition but but honor is kind of sitting there and she knows that the impact is not even necessarily just limited to the physical it's more about her loss of um, control over her team because she knows that Hammer is going to step up and he's going to be pushed to kind of take control. 
right. see where that goes. Right. It's what it means for her career, exactly as you said, not just her physical well-being. Mm-hmm. Right, and so that's uh, that's where we leave off with uh, the season one and two books, and then the really the only other thing that we that we have beyond that then is the the Butcher's Civil War, which of course is is the the aftermath. Uh, really, it's the aftermath of season one. Rule book, as opposed to carrying on from season two rule book within the butchers themselves, perhaps. Although a lot of the events of that that book, um, you know, as, as we mentioned, the, the union changes, for instance, certainly figure into those encounters. Um, and with that, we see uh, that that power struggle between. Um, brisket and and fill it which ultimately results in brisket um not dying which is um <laughs> as as some people have pointed out possibly the best she could have hoped for in that situation but based on this month's uh new releases uh we know that she uh winds up playing with the union and that i think is another one of the big story points that we have to be looking forward to getting getting more on in the season uh three book is finding out all these little bits of the uh the butcher civil war that we don't know about yet because there are definitely some uh some unresolved endings there so lots to look forward to i think yeah the the butcher civil war is um was one where we, we saw definitely at the end of at least anyway we saw from a certain perspective we didn't necessarily know the whole detail of what's going on and uh, there's definitely more to tell but exactly as you just said you know brisket is alive um i'm, I'm not gonna lie there were some endings where she wasn't <laughs> so, so um well but you um, know they were they were trying to find out what was going to happen right up to the last day of steam con there so uh that was a good time that was uh, a lot of fun mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. So, yeah, it's going into season three. I think is quite a lot for people to be uh, to get their teeth into. I mean, as obviously we already have from the sneak preview, we've seen that all of the players get something to talk about. There's, yeah. I mean, a lot of the players get their storyline progressed. There's obviously a lot in terms of the main story arc going on as well. So there's an awful lot for your listeners and our readers to uh, get sink their teeth into and have some fun with. Yeah. So. Why well, no? I am. I'm really looking forward to finding out. How many of these questions get answered? How many new questions uh, I'm left with? Because I'm sure that the that that will not be in a, uh, a balanced equation, and uh, <laughs> just uh, having some more some more of the Guild Ball world sort of unfold uh, in front of me. And uh, you are a you are a mean person, and you will not tell me what happened. So I'm going to find out along with everyone else <laughs> in a few weeks when uh, when the book comes out, and uh, can't wait. But uh, hopefully, this has reminded everybody where we are now, or if you are somebody who is newer to the game or has not had time to to read all this material yet, that now you sort of have the table set for. All these things that everybody, I'm sure, is going to be losing their mind on social media over in the next few weeks. And uh, 
what we're going to do then, Sherwin, is we are going to uh, to beg you to to come back. Uh, you know, maybe a, a couple weeks, few weeks afterwards, and we can uh, we can talk about why you did that thing you did. Well, that's <laughs> that's, that's ominous, isn't it? Um, it? It wasn't me. It was uh, yeah. okay. I, I don't know. It's my muse took over. No, uh, I'm, I'm I will blame you personally. <laughs> yeah, gonna put Flint in bubble wrap right now and just hope for the best. All right, so uh, well, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, it is always good to it is always good to chat about these characters because they are, you know, it, it's what, what's nice about Guild Ball is that our 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 miniatures are characters. You know, these are little people and their little personalities, and and we know so much about them, and and they have stories and they evolve and they come and some of them go and uh you know without your work that wouldn't uh that wouldn't be the case so we we appreciate that and uh we appreciate you coming on that's been fantastic to be on it phil and yeah just let me know when you'll be back for uh the sort of uh season three post-mortem as it were yes (laughs) all right my friend we'll talk to you soon thanks phil bye I feel pressured. <laughs> Performance feel anxiety. Well, that's just, you know, I can't help you there, Bill. All right, that's, so we that's are... That's just Monday night. <laughs> I don't need to know, Bill. All right, so we are back and uh, ready to answer our questions. Well, let's just remember, you may finish early. I have performance anxiety. Go. All right, so we are back and ready to answer our questions. Questions from the from our uh, fans and friends, um, and we're wondering how many times we people. can get Phil to say we are back, and we're back, we're back. and ready to. <laughs> you did dare me. I do have all the power here. I have all the power in this relationship, Bill. Which is why you like this relationship so much. Uh, it's the only one I have any power. <laughs> And we're back and ready to answer some questions from our friends and followers on Twitch and Twitter. And maybe some from people who don't like us. I don't know. Sometimes I can't tell. So uh, let's see. Let's jump right in. And uh, let's see. The first one was from uh, our old buddy Gabe, formerly of uh, the Kickoff Podcast. What happened to those guys? Uh... They still live around the corner from me. I could probably find out. All right. And Gabe wants to know, is Hammer even worth considering <laughs> to play Have you unmuted me yet? What? Have you unmuted me yet? I never mute you, Bill. <laughs> I just cut out what you say later. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about Hammer. What are Hammer? What is Hammer's problem in season three? Because I think it's I think it's fair to say that we're not seeing him often. And I, I, I don't know. I haven't seen him lately. Which one's Hammer? <laughs> He's that beautiful miniature that nobody is using. Uh, you know, my problem with Hammer. I mean, it, I, I had the same problem with Hammer in season three that I had in season two, and that's just that he is a he's an all the influence captain, and. and God, how many times do I have to say on this show, I don't like all the influence captains. 
So I'm 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 predisposed to not wanting to play Hammer just based on that. But at the same time, I think it's fair to say that Honor does honor things. Uh, or, or more specifically, Harmony now does better Harmony things, and those are the things I well, enjoy. And a few, and a few honor things, and, and a few honor things. But uh, you know that that's the the version of the game I like better. You know, so, Hammer's all about hitting people. Really, I mean, you know, in a pinch you can score a goal, but we were talking about this yeah we were talking about this offline and in in the chat room on top of the the uh you know josh saying um he hates hearing about why would you bring so-and-so to a tournament which i want to point out i don't understand why tournaments came up because uh all i heard was you know why would you continue to play hammer um but uh jace definitely uh well yeah (laughs) Jace brought up the fact that uh, the change to momentum at the beginning of the turn yeah. really hurts Hammer. It does. Um, people being able to to defensive stance or counter his, his alpha strike um, is definitely a, a factor. But, you know, the same should be said of fillet the same should be said of uh you know who else is, is coming in with six influence just to hit you you know maybe tapper or somebody you know i mean it's well it's a lot of the no i don't know if it hurts tapper as much i think it's a lot of the players that have one inch reach yeah. the, the one yeah, inch true. tapper doesn't have the problem because of his reach so but i mean why why is it not a problem for fillet is i guess the question that I think it is. It's just overall, Flay has more tools than Hammer does. That's fair, because she can she can still correct a reposition. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I I just you know I was saying this before. I think I think the shift in the game, despite the the uh, depths of salt you have to dig through in the Mason's form, the changes. No, in Bill, the... salt plays for the fishermen. Oh, does he? <laughs> yeah, that Mason's for him, man. Those but who some... does? But who does seasoning salt play for? Uh, Lowry's. So um, <laughs> that Mason's for him, man. That's that's not a place to go into without some high boots. <laughs> but I mean, I you know the the harmony honor change is is actually gotten really good. She can put out more damage than Hammer. She doesn't have to worry about choosing a knockdown or something. Yeah. I mean, she's just a better looking model than Hammer. I I don't know if I can agree with you on that. Hammer is pretty great model. Maybe we'd hoped. But you know what? She might. Let's let's really look at that because that's something else to to think about. Right? We're talking about Hammer, but Masons Masons are kind of not doing as great this year. And even with that, butchers seem to be doing worse into season three right now. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's look, it's no secret that the, the kicking game is very fashionable right now. I think, I mean, you know, we've talked about this before 
on this show it's been talked about on other shows uh some people think it's a phantom some people think it's for real uh you know the one thing that the one thing we know is that if there is a problem it will get solved because we've solved problems in the past and uh, we've not solved non-problems in the past. You know, there was a point in season one when yeah, all of the goal-scoring teams were crying that there was no way to win the game scoring goals. And then, and in response, they nerfed Mist. <laughs> and goal-scoring came back around <laughs> and became a viable strategy anyway when people just kind of figured right. out what they were missing. And in response to that, they nerfed Cutter. It's it's not all personal, Bill. <laughs> personal. You pointed that out, not me. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I mean, you know, if 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 you're if you're going to point out a union nerf for every time a, that there's been a change in uh, Guild Ball, because well, let's be honest, there's been a union nerf every time nerf. there's been a every change time there's a Guild change Ball. in Guild Ball, there has been a union nerf. That's true. I mean, <laughs> I mean. I mean, hunters are, are releasing in a couple of weeks. I'm expecting a union nerf. That's not a change of good It's just new. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, all right. So, uh, hammer, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I can't play him. Lots of people can't play him. Some people still play him. Um, I should probably paint mine up and see how bad he is. I just, I just don't like that style of play. I just don't. And, I mean, maybe that's something to it. I mean, it's just not a... You know, when, when Hammer was was fresh and, fresh and hot out of the kitchen, I thought he was going to be a lot of fun to play. Just something about his, his kooky, you know, steal an influence, get a special ability mechanics and stuff like that. I thought it was going to be a lot of fun. And it turned out to be a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, I always questioned the efficiency of it. You know, I think that at the end of the day, when Hammer works to his, like when things go Hammer's way, he's still, you know, Phil, let's, let's run away from honest. a train. What? In the chat room. And let's be honest, in the chat room, yeah. Jace has the answer and, and really points out why, why one, he's not as good as filet Two, why he's just, he's, he's hard to play and just doesn't cut it. And that is pound, make gutter great again. So let's move on. <sighs> yeah. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna repeat everything we've already said anyway. So I might as well just <laughs> All right. Uh, so what's the uh, next question? Scott Baker asked us uh with the with the model count getting so high um want some advice on storage solutions now i actually ran into i ran into this problem um pretty much the first set of models that came out for season three i was looking at a full box now i used the I use the KR boxes. I know Bill uses uh, battle foam. Battle foam. So maybe he's got he's in a little bit different shape. But 
Uh, season one and two of Guild Ball fit very nicely into a standard one unit uh, KR box, but more than that, didn't. So, you know, at that point, I kind of had to, I did have to go and come up with a new storage solution. And uh it was one of those things where i spent a lot more time and a lot more mental ed energy and anguish on it than i probably should have uh waffling between you know do i do you know quarter size boxes one for every team but if i did that the union box would already be full and then i'd end up with two union boxes do i do one double size KR box and try to continue to keep everything in a single box or do I do two single size boxes because I've got a double shell that I could then put them in but now I've got two boxes and like I made myself crazy trying to come up with the answer to this to this question um and unfortunately, Scott, I still don't I still don't really feel like I have the answer. I ended up just getting a second box. But what I would say is that uh, I don't really have the answer. And um, you've brought up some bad memories. Uh, what are you doing, Bill? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I it's it's sad to say, but I don't have an answer either, which might be indicative. Uh, my solution was to buy a second carrying case, yeah. and then actually take entire teams out of my primary carrying case, and set them aside until I can get a new shelving unit uh, display case built in my basement. Yeah. And I just can't bring everything with me anymore. Yeah. So yeah, see, right I mean, that's, now, that's what it I comes have, down to is that question yeah. of do you do you try to keep everything in one box anymore? I mean, we're just are we too big of a game for that now? I think so. I, I really do. I so I don't even have full teams painted. Yeah. Um, I don't have all the. I, I don't even have nearly all the models for my fish and butchers. Uh, I. My masons are on my desk in front of me here. My brewers are downstairs uh, to getting ready to go in a case. So that's two teams without being full teams. Um, there are still teams that I don't have. I'm trying to think. I don't even have all that. Like, I don't have hammer painted and wrecker painted for my masons. Um, pretty much my carrying case. So if I'm not traveling... I now travel. I now go to the store with morticians, union hunters, and uh, hunters, butchers, and fish. And at this point, I'm going to be having to drop something to put the new uh, when the new hunters come out. If I want to keep using those, yeah. Uh, and then when I travel, you know, when I travel anywhere else, I have a case to put maybe two teams in. Yeah, see, I mean, that's the thing. I've got I've got a road case now, and then I've just got at-home storage, and my road case holds 15 players. You know, so... Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I only so, need six. And we don't have sponsors. Um, it's good. I, I'm actually, I, I think it is good to point out, right? So so 
we haven't taken sponsors, and I think that's an important thing for people to know because Phil and I talked about it. So even when we mentioned Battle Foam and KR, yeah, we're um, not, we aren't being, we're, we're saying that because that's what we use and we're giving genuine opinions. These aren't, uh, right. These aren't people who give us free stuff. And, and so we mentioned them. And let me be honest. Um, I like Battle Foam. I've used Battle Foam for a long time. Jace mentioned the, the Guild Ball branded case from Battle Foam. I don't like that case. I have a case that's slightly thinner, which actually I it, it I feel it carries a little bit better. And I actually like my custom foam cutouts, which if people email me or, or message me, I'm happy to share with anybody. But I actually did custom foam cutouts, which I think are far more efficient and better than the ones that they picked to do with Battle Foam. I don't like I, I don't think he has efficient cutouts at all. Yeah, and and I think that the the other thing about that that guild ball case and it's <clears throat> KR's guild ball specific tray kind of has the same problem as it's very specific to season one, right? So you know, like like KR's uh, GB one case, uh, not case, but GB one tray has a cell that could hold the bear or hold veteran catalyst. But then it also has cells for cards and cells for gold tokens, and, and it's just not a, like an efficient use of space. So you need, you actually need something else to, to hold all those big 50 mil players. Right. Um, and that's one of the things when I did the cutouts on mine, I actually custom did it. Now it was based on season one, so it needs yeah. to be adapted some. Yeah. But I did my custom cutouts so that I have a smaller space to drop a mascot in, which a 30 millimeter base fits in. And then you can actually put in a, like a single row of your seven players. Yeah. yeah. Um, across a row where one of the spaces is a bit bigger. So you can fit your 40 or 50 millimeter base in there. Right. And then you have, you know, you have the space to actually do a row per team. Yeah. Once again, I'm now, I now have teams that are the size of two season one teams. Yeah. So, yeah, so I mean, it's um, it's a good problem to have, you know, the game grew, it kept going, yeah, <laughs> and all of our boxes are now obsolete. So, that'll teach you to, <laughs> to put too many eggs in one basket, I think, it's basically, but yeah, I think, I think that the real, the real solution for me anyway was to go ahead and just accept the a, a road case, home case solution because. Like, I would feel too nervous about taking my entire collection out of the house at once anyway. Because if anything happened to it, you lose everything, right? Yeah, and I think here's something else. Um, It's cool to bring a ton of stuff with you. I I am gamer ADD with the best of them. Yeah. However, I think there is a lot of benefit to go ahead and get a smaller case, trim down only take two teams out to the store, only take two teams out to Mm -hmm. an event, you know, not just a tournament, but convention event, whatever. When you travel, focus down a little bit. And then when you switch, it lets you actually force the rotation of some of your teams. And then it gives you a reason to buy more teams and play more. I can't read my writing. So Alex asks thoughts, although it looks like thighs. 
I think he asked about thighs. Alex asked, hi, Alex asked us about thighs. I'm pretty sure it's thoughts. And he asked us, I will find this in a moment. Uh, oh, <laughs> thoughts on the tartan paint. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so the, if you didn't see it, the, uh, the April Fool's blog post from Steamforge was, of course, the, uh, what was it, Tapper brand tartan paint. Yes. Which I'm still not convinced that there's not somehow a way in the world of material science to make a tartan paint. But until I'm proven correct, I think we'll just have to go with that as an excellent joke on on their part. But uh, wait, that wasn't serious. Yeah, Bill, it was, it was completely serious. Go get yourself a can. They they charged my credit card <laughs> as well. They should. <laughs> All right, and then um, also in the uh, also in the Twitch chat tonight, Lon asked us uh, uh, if it's time to start retiring guilds, um, and with that he means uh, in I think more in terms of time to start uh, not adding new models to guilds, not time to take them out of the options of guilds to play because I don't know that that would ever happen because, you know, the one thing Steamforge doesn't want to do is tell you you can't play with their toys. So, uh, we'll take that to mean only is it time to start retiring continued development, continued new players for teams. You, you know, just despite the, uh, the general teeth gritting people have towards Mr. Knock, um, I have to admit, he this topic coincides well with something they just talked about on their podcast yeah. which would be the strictly the worst podcast so don't go listen but <laughs> no no go listen actually i phil and i both listen um they do. They, they do a they do a solid good show and they talk about all those competitive things that, that mean nothing <laughs> that me. we don't right uh but here's the thing hey right? but if you, you want if you about... want if you want somebody to talk about uh you know how bendy a plastic model is you know come right here baby I'll talk yeah, about see, it we talk about bendy plastic models. They talk about tie breaks. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> both get boring after about twenty minutes. <laughs> so one of the things that I found interesting, and it did actually get me thinking along the lines of this question, which is why I think it goes so well. This is this is actually appropriate plugging of another podcast, not yeah. gratuitous, even though nobody plugs our podcast. But you know, yeah, no, not bitter at all. A little salty, not bitter. <laughs> Seasoned. Seasoned is the uh, seasoned is the uh, the proper term. Okay, so opportunity cost in this game, the cost that you have for putting a new model into your lineup when you play is losing the opportunity to use a different model in your lineup. Yeah, right. That actually, I think, is a good way when you start to think about has a guild grown too far where adding something new without becoming more powerful no longer makes you question the opportunity cost. Well, but adding something and making it more powerful is, is, is spending the opportunity cost. I mean, it makes it an, but it's not just spending, but it's also, but that's also, that's also creep, right? That's power creep. Right. So, so 
So how far can they design something that's similar but different and still makes you willing to consider an opportunity cost as opposed to putting something out there where the bulk of people, and I think that's the trick, the bulk of people say, it's not worth the opportunity cost to take anything out of my current lineup and put this new model in. Well, and, and even taking the opportunity cost angle out of it, which which I think that they covered very well. I mean, just taking taking it down kind of a, a, a degree of sort of technical jargon and just saying how many models can they make that do different things that are relevant to a team. Like you can, they are create, I think they're creative enough to make a lot of new models. We've just talked about a couple of different ways they've built in healing, yeah. a couple of different ways they've built in extra points. You know, I mean, they definitely still have design space. However, great example, right? When I'm playing my morticians, brain pan and memory, avarice and greed are similar. And my opportunity cost to putting brain pan and memory in often is in the same slot as avarice and greed. Uh, That's for me. It may be different for somebody else. As that starts to widen, if they're doing similar things in a different way, but the bulk, let's say 75, 80% of the community says, cute that you put a new model out, it looks pretty, but I can't afford the opportunity cost of taking one of my existing models out of my lineup, then they've grown too far. And the question is, how far do you bring that back? If 50% of the people are saying it, is it worth it to sell that model to the other 50%? If 40%, like like how much your community has to say, I, I think you're always going to have a, a, the, the core of competitive people who really weigh that, weigh that balance, right, of what they're trying to do without power creep. And, and this is assuming that they're not going to power creep models, which I don't believe they're going to do. I think, I think Steamforge is going to do a good job at not doing that. All right, so then let's talk about the let's talk about the honor opportunity cost to to Steamforged itself because they're going to release the same number of models either way. They're going to release they're going to continue to release about forty models a year because that's what their that's what their chain supports right now. And you know that's what we've got. That's what season two was. That's what season three looks like it might be. Uh, at the end of the day they could either continue making you know four players for 10 guilds every every year or they could make two or three new designs plus a few strays here and there for old teams and Odds are pretty good that they're going to sell more miniatures giving us new teams than giving us models for old teams. Because if, you know, not everyone has all the teams, you know, I mean, that's, that's a weird thing that, that I do and, and, and you do and a few other people do, but most people only still have two, three teams on average. And so, of those 40 miniatures, maybe you only need 8, 12. They drop new teams. You know, this is new aesthetic design. This is new play style. This is just new newness. Yep. 
uh, odds are you're going to end up not only buying those 8 to 12 models that you're going to buy anyway, but you're going to buy another 10, maybe another 20. So I think keeping the keeping the old teams about as big as they are helps us because it keeps the teams from being watered down and having that uh, sort of disparity between the players you need to play and the players you don't need to play. And I also think it helps Steamforge because frankly it helps their sales. So I, you know, back to the, back to the question, is it time to start talking about retiring guilds? Well, it's not even really for us to re- to to discuss because I mean Matt has said publicly, and I, and I think Rich as well, that down the road they simply won't make as many new models for old teams as they as they uh, did in season two. You know, even going to season three, we've seen one new model for every team. You know, don't hold your breath for a second new model for every team. So, you know, I, I think that the, the answer to this question isn't speculation. I think the answer to this question is, yeah, the, that growth is going to slow down. It may even stop. And it's for good right. reasons on both sides of the transaction. So how close do you think they are? To stopping old teams? To, to stopping on a, on a team, yeah. I would not be surprised if almost all of the existing 10 teams don't get any more players, but that the occasional interesting player pops up to address specific issues. Occasional interesting player. Okay. So if there are... You know, one way to deal with future matchup issues, you know, let's say that, let's say somewhere down the road, the the morticians are having trouble with a specific guild or a specific pair of guilds, you know, maybe, maybe one new player for them that, that kind of plugs a, a hole that exists in that one matchup. You know, is the guild still sort of technically retired? Yes, but it's like a soft retirement. You know, that's that's what I expect from the future. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I I think a lot of the guilds are within. I would have before seeing Brain Pain and Memory. Mm-hmm. I would have said that a lot of the guilds are within two models of being at the at the edge of their design space uh ready to ready to start actually slowing down and you know two more models in there and they're there but i guess the question there is how close do they want to get to the edge of that design space do they want to go all the way up to it or do they want to to fall right at right no no, no. and that yeah i think it's i think it's start i think we see the slowdown mm-hmm. next year season four uh, only only if you count this year's one model as not slowing down. I don't think this. I don't think this year is really slowing down. Well, I mean, they're only getting one. 
They got one and a veteran last year, and a lot of the veterans aren't really well, seeing and a much captain play. And a mascot. Yeah, okay. So they got four last year. So they got four last year. They're all getting one this year. Yeah. Right? But if we look at the new... Um, they talked about it somewhere. If we look at the new release sort of plan, it's starter box of six, expansion box of four, expansion box of two. Which is about where we're at. Right. Right. Yeah. This this year added that fourth model. Which means all the guilds have about two more to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what do we know, right? <laughs> yeah, well, we, 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 we really don't. I mean, this is all wild speculation. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I could see them stopping now. I could see them adding one or two more. It's just, you know, at the end of the day, it just comes down to what they're comfortable with and what they... Yeah. Josh what says they can he can see... Josh in the uh, in the chat room says he can see DC once in a while popping out a new model for a retired guild. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and like I said, I mean, that that's what I expect to see. I don't... I, I expect them all to be soft retirements just because... Yeah. I don't think you want to never say never. I think new models answer questions. And I think an unexpected new model or an unexpected veteran could be a very exciting thing for the community and a very exciting opportunity for Sherwin to to write a an interesting story about a character that we weren't expecting to get an interesting story. So, yeah, I think soft retirement is really the long-term future and that there isn't going to be, like, this hard number of 12. I think there's going to be a... I think there's going to be a soft number and it's going to be around 12. And that's that's enough when you can only take nine, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So. All right. Well, you know is what? That all our questions... I think that's all the questions we need to ask. We are uh, wow. we're creeping up on the two hour mark, and uh, that's so, uh, so. So so Phil. So Bill, what what team are you playing at Vengeance? You still doing Alchemist or going Fish? Wh- yeah. Which broken team are you going to play? I don't. You know, I wanted to play Fish because I I do genuinely enjoy playing them. But now that everybody else is playing Fish, at least I don't play Shark Fish. I play. Corsair fish, and I don't do those draft shenanigans either. I just come with six models, and I just play six models. So, so, and and here's the tricky question for you, because now there's no way to tell why you're answering this way. So, simple yes or no answer, Phil. No more than a yes or no. <laughs> Will you be adding grace or benediction to your fish lineup? Um. Good night, Bill. Good night, Phil. Knees up, watch the nine. To join the conversation, comment on the show post at guildballtonight.com or email us at guildballtonight at gmail.com. Also, feel free to give us five stars on iTunes. Every little bit helps. But when you do, don't write a review of the show. No. Instead, just tell everybody why you love Flint so very much. Guild Ball is property of Steamforged Games Limited. 
The views and opinions expressed by the host and guests are their own and do not represent the official position of Steamforge Games, Yo-Yo Dine Propulsion Systems, Aperture Laboratories, or even the other hosts and guests. Dogs barking can't fly without umbrella. It is time once again for another installment of Ox's Poetry Corner. I like season one. Not hard to figure out why. It's all about me. Robin Hooding. Sounds fantastic. Robin Hooding? Robin Hooding. What does that mean? No, my lord, I didn't shoot that deer. Just go to go, go, go. I'm so confused right now. 